Who knows what I got right here? <laughs> I know, everyone, everyone's been anticipating it, right? Why does he have a weird-looking Mr. Potato Head? So, so here's the thing. Here's the thing about Mr. Potato Head is you obviously can kind of do whatever you want with him. But in the end, there is a right and a wrong way to put together a Mr. Potato Head, right? You want to take each piece of him and you want to put it in the right place. And if things aren't in the right place, you don't put them where they should be. It kind of starts to look like this. And I mean, it, it kind of works. It it looks like something Sid from Toy Story would have in his room. It's terrifying. Uh, it's really freaky, but we look at this and it, and it works. Uh, we look at this and it's, it's even kind of fun. Um, we look at this and we're trying to figure out what other weird ways we can put things. But in the end, we all know that we didn't put the right things in the right place, right? Right? It's not that complicated. So, I mean, even here, we've got the eyes down here. It's a real butthead, right? Um, but, <laughs> I said it again. If we want to take it and start to put things in the way they're supposed to be, he starts to look a little bit more normal. He's got the Sean ears. They stick out. Who laughed at Sean ears? That's messed up, right? Put the arms here. This ear's in the right spot. We got to get this out. Oh, no. He just got, he just shaved. That was awesome. All right. We're going to put his mustache back on. We're going to put his mouth in here, nice little smile. We're going to put his arm in. And now we've put everything in the right place. And now it's, okay, I could move the mustache up. You guys are making me work too hard here. All right. There we go. Now we've put everything in the right place. And he's how he's supposed to be. Because, why? Because we put things the way they were supposed to be. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, he's actually going to go through and talk about certain things. But in the end, what he's telling the people at the church in Corinth, the Corinthian Christians, is they need to rearrange certain things in their life. They need to actually put certain things in the place they have other things. They need to put, really, first things first. They need to rearrange their priorities because what they're doing isn't working because they've put the wrong things in the wrong place. Just like our creepy looking Mr. Potato Head, <laughs> looking like something out of The Walking Dead or Last of Us or something. I don't know. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Y'all are probably like, what in the world is happening here? So let me give you a little bit of context. What's happening is back in the day, there was two different ways you could really buy meat. You could go to the grocery store or you could buy it uh, basically from these pagan or idol temples. 
these places where they worship false gods. And buying the meat from the temple marketplace, from the false god marketplace, was actually cheaper than buying it from the regular marketplace. But the only problem was the meat they were selling from these false gods, from these false idols, is it had been sacrificed to those gods, to those idols. So the Corinthians wrote to Paul and they said, is this appropriate for us to be eating meat that has been sacrificed to these fake gods? Like this doesn't feel right. Now, all of y'all can't relate to this because none of you have really dealt with this. Like you don't go to Publix and go, oh, that meat's been sacrificed to false gods. This meat has it, right? It's not labeled that way, right? That'd be really weird. So we hear this and we're like, okay, I can't really relate because this isn't a topic I'm concerned about, but it's still applicable. Because in the end, they're looking at something that seems to have this huge gray area. And they're saying, is this okay? So for example, because you're probably like, how, do, how can I relate to this? Certain video games. Is this okay for me to play? Is it okay for me to play this game? Certain music. Is it okay for me to listen to this music? It says this word or it talks about this topic. There's a really controversial one, not as much today, but back in the day especially, and sometimes still today, Christians will go, is it okay for me to get a tattoo? Is this okay? Another one, is it okay for me to drink alcohol? I mean, the Bible doesn't say don't drink alcohol. The Bible says don't get drunk. So if I don't get drunk, then it is okay, right? And there's people who, can I go to that party? I'm not going to actually party. I'm not going to do what they're doing. It's just my friends are there, and I want to be there with them. So is that okay for me to go to? Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to answer any of those questions I just asked because that's not what I'm supposed to do. And Paul doesn't really answer their question either. He actually puts it back on them. And here's the problem. He says knowledge puffs up while love builds up. So here's what the strong Christians, and they are. They're believers, they know the word, they understand it, and they have a lot of knowledge, so they're very logical about this. Here's their argument. Well, God, this meat was sacrificed to false gods, to fake gods, but you're the only God. So those false gods aren't real, they're fake, so the meat was actually sacrificed to something that doesn't exist, so therefore there's nothing wrong with it because the false gods don't exist, so it's okay to eat. That makes sense, right? I, I, I personally, I look on, I'm like, that makes sense. Because if you're sacrificing to something that doesn't exist, can you imagine I was like, hey guys, this Mr. Potato Head is for Jerry here. Here, Jerry. Y'all would be like, well, Jerry doesn't exist. Can I have it? No, you can't have it. I gave it to Jerry. There is no Jerry, right? We can eat this because the false gods don't exist. That's what their knowledge says. And to me, because I'm very logical, that makes sense. And here's the thing. The temple meat was much cheaper. So they're saving money. They can be good stewards with their money. And really, there's no, these false gods don't exist. They're fake. So what's wrong with it? So Paul asks this question to them. Or Paul says this whole thing. Sorry, I just totally lost my place in my notes. And he says, all right, so here's what you know. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So you got these strong Christians who know a lot about God's word and they're thinking logically, but now you have some people who are new to the faith. And a lot of these people came out of idol worship. They used to worship these fake gods. They used to sacrifice meat to these fake gods. 
And now they're watching Christians partake of this meat that they used to give to their other gods. What do you think that does in their heart? What do you think that does in their mind when they're watching Christians do something they think that a Christian shouldn't do because it's not about these false gods, it's about the real God. And their mind starts to ask these questions. Why is this okay? Why is this okay? Why is this okay? Listen, you can grow in biblical knowledge, but not in grace and love. I don't know if you guys have ever met someone that knows so much about the Bible. They know so much about God. They know so much about Jesus, but they're kind of a jerk. Anybody know anyone like that? Some of y'all are like pointing at me. (laughs) Wait, why'd you do that? I'm a jerk. You know what? (laughs) What's cool, if I like cut them up in pieces and stuck them in an air fryer, you'd have like another fryer up here, right? All right, anyway. So, but here's what the Bible says. 2 Peter 3.18 says, grow... Because knowledge in and of itself isn't bad. Grow in the grace. You know, say put grace first. Put love first. Put what God's done for us first. And knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be uh, glory both now and forever. Amen. You can grow in biblical knowledge, but not in grace and love. So what does Paul tell them to do? He says, put love above knowledge. Put love above knowledge. What's happening? They're taking all their knowledge and they're putting it in the wrong place. They're putting knowledge first. Well, this doesn't, this makes, but he's saying, do you really want to do this? You're hurting the weaker Christians. You need to put love before knowledge. They weren't building up the weaker Christians. They were actually puffing up themselves. They were building up themselves. Listen, knowing builds you, but loving builds others. So you could sit and you could look on at all these arguments they have, and you could go, well, you know what, Sean? When I am grown up and I am 21, and the Bible says straight up, don't get drunk, that means I can still drink alcohol. I just can't get drunk. Now, for me, I told you I'm not going to answer these questions, and I'm still not good, but for me, I've made the personal choice just not to drink, period. Why? couple of reasons. One, I don't think anything good could come from it, <laughs> right? There's something really weird about drinking, and I just, uh, like, for some reason, you see people like, oh, you're not going to make me drink alone, are you? Or people, they got to take selfies at the restaurant with, like, their alcoholic beverages. No one does that with a Coca-Cola. Hey, let's take pictures with our water cups. <laughs> like, you got to let the world know you're drinking, right? But, but the other reason I don't is because as a leader in the church, I don't want to be at Chili's eating my chicken crispers my barbecue sauce and my double french fries and someone to come to my table and see me with an alcoholic beverage because I don't want them to think differently. I don't want them, they, they could think that's my third or fourth or fifth drink. So I've made a choice to say no to that because I want to love others first. I want to put love for people above knowledge. And then Paul says this in verse seven, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. He's literally talking about these people who've been saved that I mentioned. They came out of idol worship. They came out of idolatry. So they still think of it as that. Verse 8, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block 
to the weak. Remember how I just said I don't do this because I don't want people to see me in public and go, oh, look, Sean's doing I don't want people to look on and go, oh, if, that, if he's doing it, it's okay. If he's doing it, I can do it. If, I, if, if it's like this, I can. You don't want it to be a stumbling block. Verse 10, for if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Paul says a lot here. He says very clearly, hey, listen, food does not bring us near to God. He's saying your stance on these topics does not reflect your relationship with the Lord. So understand that when I'm up here and some of you are like, my mom drinks wine at night and uh, Sean said he shouldn't and now I think my mom's right. That's not what I'm saying. That is not at all what I'm saying. My stance versus your mom's stance on that topic does not reflect our spirituality. It doesn't reflect where we stand with God. It's just different choices we've made. But as a leader in the church, in the public eye all the time, that's a choice that I've made to do because I want to serve others in that way. So he talks about these people and he says they have a weak conscience. He says it's easily defiled, it's wounded, it's offended, it's weak. It could be many reasons. Because they're new Christians, because they don't know a lot about the Bible. I don't know why each of them have a weak conscience, but they do. But Paul tells them, don't use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want. There's a lot of Christians who live their life in this way. God's going to forgive me no matter what. So I can do whatever I want. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, there's a verse where Paul says, Should I continue sinning that grace may abound? Should I keep sinning because I'll get more grace? If I sin, grace, sin, grace, sin, grace. But then he says, certainly not. I shouldn't keep sinning. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want. We're free in Christ. But that doesn't mean I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. I don't use it as an excuse. This is why he talks about them having a weak conscience. This is why we need a strong conscience. You guys all know Jiminy Cricket, right? Let your conscience be your guide, right? We have a better Jiminy Cricket his name is the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us if we're a Christian. And he convicts us of sin. I'm telling you guys, on these weird, tough topics, when you're asking these questions, you can sit and go, Sean, tell us what to do. Can I go to that party with my friends? I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm not going to tell you what to do. What's the Holy Spirit telling you? He'll tell you what's right and what's wrong. And if you're so torn about it, you probably shouldn't go because that's him telling you not to. That's not me telling you. Honestly, you could go. And you could not do anything wrong. And, and you could have a good time. And you could go and not sin. Like, you, you could. That's why you turn to the Holy Spirit and say, what do I do? He's your conscience. He'll convict you. He'll tell you. He'll let you know right from wrong. Because the reality is, going to a party, Jesus hung out with sinners. That's what he did. He hung out with the low of the low. He hung out with horrible people but he did it without sinning. 
So is it right or wrong to go to that party? Is it right or wrong to drink? Is it right or wrong to play that video game? Listen, I don't have the answer for you. Now, there's certain things I'll tell you, yes, that's wrong. Don't sit and watch that demonic movie. Like, come on, that one about the person who's like possessed and there's, de- like, don't watch that junk. I'll tell you right now, you're not asking for anything good. But these hot topic ones where it's like, hey, it could be that, might not. Listen, that's not my place. That's the Holy Spirit's place. He'll tell you. But at the end of all of this, here's what Paul says. Number two, put love above knowledge. He says, put others above yourself. You might be free to do what you want as a Christian. But you might want to say no to some things if it serves others better. I look around the room and I see our adult leaders, your small group leaders. And I see a bunch of people who've put you above themselves. What do I mean? It's Saturday night. FAU's playing in the Elite Eight right now. And I, please, this isn't about me. I'm not trying. But I want to, I, like, I really, really was like, who can I get to teach for me? Because I really want to watch FAU play. That's where I went to school. I want to watch my team. I want to represent them. You've got leaders here. Weekend after weekend, Saturday after Fun things happen on Saturday. You go to dinner with your family. You watch sports, college football season. They're like, there's so much going on on Saturday nights. I think the U.S. Open is happening. Is that what it is? The tennis match happening right now in Miami. Like, there's so many. But your leaders are here week after week after week. They have the freedom to do whatever they want on Saturday night. But they said no to that freedom to say yes to you, to say yes to loving you, to say yes to serving you, to say yes to pouring into you. None of y'all, I bet, dream one day when you're 20, 30, 40. None of our leaders are over 40. They're all younger, right? None of of you dream, man, when I'm 30 years old today, I can't wait to be at church every Saturday night with middle schoolers. (laughs) Right? But they're doing it. They're doing it. I see, I see Noah and Jake, and they've got girlfriends, and like, and it's like they could be out like at a nice dinner, but they're here every Saturday, pouring into you, putting things in the right place. I'm putting others above myself. And then he goes into chapter nine, and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read it all just for the sake of time. But what happens in chapter nine, verses one through fourteen? Paul uses himself as an example. And he says, guys, I have the right to get paid for what I do. Paul goes around the world and plants churches and pours into Christians. And and literally, he goes through this list of things and he's like, doesn't a soldier get paid for their work? Isn't an apostle paid for their work? I'm an apostle. I'm a worker. Doesn't the Old Testament law say if someone teaches you God's word that you should pay them? Didn't Jesus say a worker is worthy of his wages? Paul goes for 14 verses explaining why he should get paid for what he does. But he doesn't get paid. In verse 12, he says, If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse 13, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar sharing what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord's commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from 
the gospel. Here's the thing. You have the freedom to, and you have the freedom not to. There's a certain freedom in being able to do whatever you want, but there's also a certain freedom in being able to say no to things and not being bound to things and saying no to your Saturday night week after week after week. Right? Paul has the freedom to get paid, but he's made a choice. He said, I'm not going to get paid for what I do. I have the freedom to say no to that. Why? And what does this have to do with food? Verse 15. <laughs> but I have not used any of these rights. He says, I, I'm not getting paid. I haven't used these rights. I have the right to. And he says, I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. He's like, I'm not saying this so you will pay me. Hey, you guys realize I'm not getting paid. <laughs> hint, hint, wink, wink. He's saying, I'm not writing it for that. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I just totally lost my spot. There you go. I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Number three, put the gospel above everything. We put knowledge, sorry, we put love above knowledge. We put that in the right place. We put others above ourselves. That's the right place. That's how God intended it. But we put the gospel even above that. We put Jesus above that. We put God above those things. We want things in the right place. We don't want our feet on our head and our hat on our butt. We want things in the right place, how it's supposed to be. And if we want things how they're supposed to be, we put the gospel above everything else. Paul's saying the strong believers need to sit their rights aside. They need to sit their freedom aside for the sake of the gospel for the weaker Christians, and even for non-Christians. And I would ask this question to you, and you can fill this blank in however you want, but is blank more important to you than the gospel? Because as we sit and we ask these questions in these gray areas, can I do this? Can I do that? I don't think it's really a sin. Am I allowed to? Am I, da, da, da. If it's going to hinder the gospel, if it's going to make people call Christians hypocrites, if it's going to turn people away from the faith, if people are going to look on and be like, you're a Christian and you can do that? That's crazy. I didn't know Christians could do that. I want to be a Christian too, right? What you're saying is that thing to you, I don't know what it is, that video game, that curse word you like to use, that party you want to go to, that thing that you know you shouldn't. And I'm not defining what you should or shouldn't do because I told you the Holy Spirit will tell you. But whatever that thing is, is it more important to you than the gospel? Is it more important to you than Jesus? Paul says this, I'm not getting paid because I don't want people to think that's why I'm preaching this message. And I'm just going to be totally honest with you guys. I've seen too many celebrity pastors make millions of dollars off of Jesus. And it's crazy to me. And it turns people off. Twitter goes crazy and newspaper articles go crazy and they go, this guy made all of this money while there's starving people a mile from their church and all these homeless people and all these neighborhoods and their church doesn't even do any outreaches yet this guy has a private jet. 
that turns you off of Christianity. So Paul says, I don't want anyone to think that I'm doing this for the money, for the wages, for like what I earn, because I'm not. I'm doing it for the gospel. I'm doing this for Jesus. There's an Instagram account. I don't even know if it still exists. It was called Preachers and Sneakers. And the guy literally was finding pastors who have shoes that are like thousands of dollars. And they'd wear them on stage. And he was like making, he's like, look at these guys. They preach lowering yourself and humbling yourself. Yet they got more money on their feet than they've donated to the poor. Right? Paul says, put the gospel Are your $1,000 sneakers more important to you than Jesus? Is your private jet more important? Is your video game? I don't know what it is. Paul wanted the gospel to be completely free. He didn't want anyone questioning his motives. And he lived it. Verse 19, he says, Though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Paul could do whatever he wanted to do, but he used his rights and his freedom to bring people to Jesus. We talked about our adult leaders, but I think of our, our worship team. I think of our AV volunteers, students, sitting there, students, high school students who came here at 3.30 today to rehearse, to practice. Silas, Silas is a college student at FAU. Woo, go Owls, big game right now, right? Got David on the computer there. I don't know if there's anyone else back there doing slides. David's a high schooler, right? Could be doing anything they want on Saturday night. The worship team could be doing anything they want on a Saturday night. But they're here. They're coming early. They're also going to be here tomorrow morning. Coming in early, 9.45 for sound check for the 11 o'clock service. Why? Because they want to point people to Jesus. Because they put the gospel first. Because they put Jesus first. They're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it because this message is so important to them that a high schooler wants to come and sing worship music to middle schoolers for Jesus on their weekend, on their days off of school. And they don't do it just on the weekend. They're at home. They're practicing. They're having to schedule themselves. They're they're, they're having to practice their songs, make sure they're playing their instruments right, making sure they're singing the right notes, all these things. I don't understand music, but I know they work hard at home for Jesus because they put the gospel above other things. Paul says, I did this. I became all things to all people. Why? For the sake of the gospel. And he closes in verse 24. I'll go quick here, but he says, do you you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. 
No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Fourth and finally, put eternity above today. Put eternity above today. Paul says, I strike a blow to my body. Another translation would say, I discipline my body. He's saying, I give up the good and better for the best. Right? I, I give up these certain pleasures. I give up being able to get paid because eternity is coming. Because there's a crown in heaven. Because there's a reward in heaven. I'm giving up the good now. I'm giving up the better now for the best later. I'm putting eternity above today. He says, I make my body a slave. I lead my body. My body is my servant, but my spirit is the master. God is the master. I'm not going to let my flesh tell me what to do, but I'm going to let my spirit, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit guide and direct me and make my flesh my slave, make my flesh my servant. I'm not going to be a slave to my flesh, but I'm going to make my flesh serve me. And he talks about being an athlete. And here's the thing, guys. There's nothing wrong with, like, food. There's nothing wrong with fun. But if you're an Olympic athlete and those games are coming up and you've been training and training and training, you're not going to eat that cupcake before the games. Why? Because your eye's on the ultimate prize. You've worked too hard. You've trained too hard. You've fought too hard. There's nothing wrong with, with some of these things that we talk about necessarily, but you don't want them to interfere with the ultimate goal. Worship team, you guys can come up. But an athlete, goes, he goes through a strict diet. He goes through hard training, years of training. But with that goal in mind, with that gold medal in his mind, with that, with that prize in their mind, standing up on the podium, hearing their country's national anthem as that gold medal is draped around their neck. And they say at the end, it's worth it. Putting eternity above today. It's funny, right now I'm in a season where since we had a kid, my wife and I have been thinking a lot about the future. And we've been going through our finances and we've been looking at things and budgets and she stopped working recently. So we have one income now and I'm not saying all these things to be like, huh, look what we've done. But I'm saying it because our mind has been on the future a lot. On retirement, on setting up our son. I'd love to be able to bless him one day when he gets married, when he has kids, if he goes to college. Like whatever he does, like I, I want to be able to bless him. So I've stopped thinking a lot about today. I'm going through budgets, and I'm like, I don't need this, I don't need this, and it doesn't matter right now because I want to set my future up and my son up for success. And I'm starting to say no to today to say yes to the future. In the same way, we should say no to today to say yes to eternity. What we do here, how is that going to shape our eternity? How is that going to affect our eternity? I love what the great Maximus Decimus Meridius said. He said, what we do now will echo in eternity. Our eyes should be on the prize. And ultimately, you guys hear it every week. Goal for the Christian, love God and love people. That's putting love above knowledge. That's putting others above ourselves. That's putting the gospel above everything. That's putting eternity above today. And when we do these things, our, our life will look more like this instead of that discombobulated mess that we saw at the beginning of this message.